Hello, and welcome to the Colts Cover 2 podcast. This is the First Impressions Edition. I am Joel A. Erickson. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Nate Atkins. Uh, the Colts lose a heartbreaker 39-38 to to the Browns today. Uh, this... The, the, we're, we'll, I I'm trying to figure out if this is going to end up in the categories or not. Um, it, it probably will. I don't want to stuff on the categories too much. This game is going to be talked about a lot in terms of the penalties or that were called on Daryl Baker Jr. at the end. Um, I think one of my takeaways from it, this game was insane. Yeah. Uh, this game was very like the, this. My my joking way of putting this is this game was drunk. Uh, this this game woke up this morning, uh, came down here. Got in the parking lot, pounded three espresso martinis, and then switched from espresso martinis to, um, we'll go, let's see, like gin, like gin and tonic, something that goes down too easy, and it, it just never stopped. This 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 game was this game was just absolutely blitzed by the second quarter and just kept going. It's gonna have a rough day. It's gonna have a rough morning. This game is. Yeah, this game was like your friend who says, "I'm only gonna have one beer," and then somehow they're twelve in. Uh, that's kind of how it felt. <laughs> it was like two. I well, mean, especially since we thought this game was going to be low scoring. Well, that's the whole thing. Is that by by the eleven minute mark, both teams had ripped off a sixty yard touchdown, and like it was already more touchdowns than I thought we would have in a half, and it just kept going that whole way. And it was a weird mix of, I mean, a lot of yards, a lot of just so many big plays, offense and defense. There are moments where. It's like everyone – it would be interesting we get into the categories because there are moments where there's like units or people who fluctuated between the hero and the villain throughout. I mean, there are moments when – you know, for example, there were moments when the Browns' defense was getting absolutely shredded in a way that they never have. They also had moments where Miles Garrett was taking over the game and the reason that the score flipped. And I think the same you could say for some parts of the Colts' offense, both – destructive in moments but also explosive in others so it was just like nothing it was just such a long game with with all the reviews and all the penalties and all the scoring and it was it was a lot to keep up with I I thought it was incredibly entertaining I know it's incredibly painful for the Colts fans out there and uh, we'll get into kind of the reasons why I I, I definitely think you guys should be very frustrated Um, exactly what who you should be frustrated at and why I think that's that's going to be some of the the conversation in the categories, but it was it was absolutely insane uh, to think that you had a thirty nine thirty eight game when we thought it would be super low scoring, especially when for almost all of it it was all backup quarterbacks, and especially the game that Deshaun Watson started out with to then turn to PJ Walker, you know, with Anthony Richardson out for the year, that these two teams combined for this type of game was it was just kind of crazy to see. We'll just we'll just jump right into the categories here. Uh, Colts lose today, so that means we start with the villain of the game. As always, just a reminder for listeners out there for Nate, uh, this is the uh, it's the MCU version of the of the villain. It's the modern it's the modern superhero villain where their their intentions are or their 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 desire is to do something uh, right, and then they end up it ends up breaking in there. Think think Tony Stark uh, creating Ultron and accidentally ruining the world. For sure. Um, that's, that's my hot take is that Tony Stark is actually secretly like one of the MCU's best villains as, as well as one of its best heroes because he's constantly accidentally creating terrible things that could take over the world. And that feeds into just what I was saying about how these, there's people in this game who fluctuated at moments between hero and villain. And so 
I want to avoid making the same villain choice every week. Um, <laughs> but if I have first choice in this, I, I do have to go to Gardner Minshew. Um, who is my example for this? Where at moments there were early on, I thought he might end up being the hero when you consider that uh, he had that opening drive touchdown uh, kind of on a weird play where uh, Miles Garrett had jumped off sides. The Browns kind of had a weird zone they didn't fully play out, but they ex- but the Colts executed, got a huge 59-year pass to Josh Downs. That was great. Gardner had two rushing touchdowns where he made great plays on those, like made guys miss, and, and one of them was 17, from 17 yards out. So he deserves some credit for that stuff. But you just can't – you cannot be turning the ball over four times in a game and expect to win. The, the quarterback cannot have four turnovers and for us to not make him a villain if they lose, I don't think. And it's especially concerning when he only attempted 23 passes. He got sacked four times. So he had 27 dropbacks. Um, and to turn over four – it's four turnovers, right? Four, correct. Yeah, four turnovers in 28 – or 27 dropbacks. I mean, that's one out of every seven plays is a turnover. Uh, that that just isn't the way to play. It's just not going to work. And that's the one thing that's very that's just troubling about where the Colts are is that we knew when Anthony Richardson, you know, had his unfortunate injury and now he's out for the year, they were going to lose some things naturally. A backup shouldn't be expected to step in and replicate the athletic skills of the number four pick in the draft. So – some of the downfield throwing, some of the certainly the rushing, which that's the area he made up for this game a little bit than, than what he had been doing. But those are areas where, if that's what he's not doing as well, you know, you have to live with some of that. But my understanding of Gardner and why he was a good fit as a backup quarterback was that he's sort of your he's understood to be sort of your trusted veteran who's not going to put the ball in harm's way. Maybe he won't take as many risks, but he won't set you back. And that just isn't the Gardner we've seen the last two weeks. And it's for different reasons. Where last week it was the ball flying out of his hands. This week, it just it, it goes to show I, I think he, he just kind of has a fumbling problem. You've brought this up. but it, Yeah, it we really telegraphed this on the podcast last week. It's, I believe it's now 27 and 27 starts. Um, yeah. Three today. It was 24. So, yeah, it'd have to be 27 and 27 starts. Um, uh, in a way, I sort of, I sort of jokingly referenced this. Um, during the game because people kept saying this is like Matt Ryan this is like Matt Ryan and I was like I mean we're talking about like just Colts Matt Ryan right because obviously Atlanta Falcons Matt Ryan is a pretty good player in the NFL yeah. uh but um in, in a way it's it's in terms of Colts it's a good comparison to what we've gotten because like that's that was Matt Ryan here was uh moments and bursts of a a high percentage short passing game um with issues going down the field um although you know Rip Minshew made some plays today down the field but some of them were very helped out by uh Miles Garrett jumping off sides and and then too many turnovers and the fumbling thing is something like like we said that's that's there that's in his profile it's it's not necessarily surprising um the the interception today was concerning in a way that so last week's interceptions there was one that was thrown into jeopardy and then two that were just bad throws to the right receiver today's was today's was a bad decision too he was rolling right he's not great throwing on the move to begin with he and he ended up completing a a pass like this almost immediately after it but 
he was rolling to his right, threw kind of back to his left a little bit. Like he he shouldn't attempt that pass. He just shouldn't. And there was room to run too. There was room to run. Um, but it, he's got to take. And he said this. You know, I have to take better care of the football. Um, but Matt Ryan said it all last year too. And two games in a row, eight turnovers. It, it's it's an issue. Um, it's it's an issue. Uh, for for me, villain of the game. Um, this this is where this is probably going to be the longest part of the podcast because we're going to have to get into like what we thought of the plays, but it, unfortunately, it ends up being Daryl Baker Jr. Um, entered the game in in place of Juju Brent. Uh, ultimately, the Colts just made a waiver claim at the cornerback position. Ultimately, it probably shouldn't be in the spot where Daryl Baker Jr. is the next man up, given that you benched him to the inactive list after the first two games. So you probably should have added somebody or found somebody there. Um, maybe I'm stepping on unsung villain there. I don't think so. I think I've got somebody else. Um, but, uh, but once he was in, like that's when they were like PJ Walker really struggled today. He did not look good. Uh, he looked very inaccurate when they made plays frequently was against Baker and the, the drive in question, the, the game winning drive in question got going because of a third and 10 30 yard completion down the right sideline against Baker. And there were a couple of plays like that on, on some of the Browns scoring drives. In addition to the penalties at the end, this is where we get into the penalties at the end. I, I see why both of them were called. I, I think most Colts fans think that both were terrible calls. I can see those arguments as well. Um, it, it, it was not like a, a hard grab or anything. If I think if it was a hard grab on the, Illegal contact would have been a holding penalty, um, but his arm is around Amari Cooper as he tries to get to the outside. It just is. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the next play, the the pass interference he he grabbed with both hands Donovan Peoples Jones's arm. Now that one, I think most people thought that's uncatchable. I, I, I don't know this. Um, we didn't go to ask about it in the we didn't we didn't send me down to ask about it to the refs maybe we should have i don't know if we would have got i don't know pass interference calls aren't something you normally send the pool reporter down um to talk about but like the uncatchable piece of it that's why i think maybe we should have had it because i think uncatchable is sometimes hard to know i think the key here is it did look like walker airmailed it I I wonder if for the referees the call is predicated on if the contact doesn't happen, does Peoples Jones have a chance to fully leap and extend, and not knowing that is why they call it uncatchable. I don't know. I actually I, I don't know that, and I'm not sure if I can look it up very easily because I think as most people know, pass interference is not something that the that the NFL has defined very clearly. Yeah, that's kind of that's where I'm at with it. I think the illegal contact I. I there's contact there. They're just they're, there's just very clearly contact. Amari Cooper is trying to cut on an out route. Daryl Baker has you know he just gave up that thirty yard completion in a killer spot. He's trying to not do it. This is where you you overextend a little bit. This is how a lot of penalties happen. This is why I think he's a good choice for villain by the definition we have, which is he's trying to do the right thing, but sometimes you're not equipped to do it, or you're you know you're the moment's a little big, and that's what that felt like. Is that Amari Cooper is a you know bonafide number one receiver. Terrell Baker Jr. is in his, you know, in a spot that he wasn't supposed to be at all. He went from not playing at all for several weeks to now you are the outside corner that's on Amari Cooper 
And, you know, and so, so certainly the Colts deserve criticisms we've given them, front office and coaches, I think, to a point of putting players in some of these spots that are, you know, he's an undrafted player second year, and he, he just hasn't uh, – he hasn't built that up in this league. So he, he does a little bit too much, catches him. Now, maybe that's a play where you hope the refs don't see it. And I think that's where a lot of this comes down to. I, the angst I'm seeing from Colts fans – is it's almost like I think all these calls we go through, I understand why the refs made the call. I understand the arguments against it. I still don't think they're enough to say that the call shouldn't have been made. There's just sort of a hope that the refs won't make that call in that moment because it's a big moment because sometimes refs miss things in other moments, and you hope that that was going to happen here, but it didn't happen. Kenny, Kenny Moore's argument essentially was you shouldn't call that in that spot, um, which is something that I think you've heard people – say before it's something that was said with the eagles in the super bowl with the bradbury call um i i would generally side on the fact on the idea that if you if you're gonna call it early in the game you should call it the same way late in the game um i know a lot of people disagree with that i just think it's it's if if you can play a different way late in the game and get away with it because it's the fourth quarter then like i think players will do that um that's the thing too is like i just feel like those plays were and like so they missed pass interference what was the giants game the the waller one that was like a very badly obvious pass interference that they missed like you know that was sort of a let them play type of thing but i think most people who watched that game were like that was pass interference yeah yeah i think they should have flagged that one it's i mean it's it's deflating no one enjoys penalties in these moments being the reason that something happens but that's where you just have to be really on the details and not commit the penalty and so uh, Daryl Baker Jr., you know, he's. this all goes back to the fact that he was their starting outside corner to begin the year playing over a second-round pick who was inactive. They believed in him. They gave him that chance. After two weeks, they to completely reversed it, where not only was he not starting, he was inactive that week, and then they he, they moved him behind Jalen Jones, who's a seventh-round rookie. They had So they really moved two guys above him, two rookies. And so Baker... He's, you know, he's he's active today because they're thin and they're, you know, but he's he's been mostly, he hasn't been playing, though, until there's an injury. Now there's an injury and he's out there. This is what happens to the confidence of a player at a position like that is that they, the Colts have told him that they don't trust him out there. And then they put him in a moment like this where he's got to go guard Mar- Amari Cooper in a shootout to go win the game. He gives up one long completion down the right side. And so then what you have is he's just he's doing a little bit too much. And you can hope the refs don't call it in that moment, but that ball that's thrown over, you know, maybe it was uncatchable to Donovan Peoples Jones, maybe he could have gone up and get it. It it just wasn't it didn't feel necessary for him to hold Peoples Jones in that in that spot. And, and with Amari Cooper, I don't know, maybe like maybe I'm sure he couldn't have seen what was gonna happen with, with the, the strip sack that EJ speed got but at the same time like if you're gonna be handsy like if you're gonna if you're gonna you're trying to get away with something based in that moment and i think he just essentially got caught and it's unfortunate but that's where you know you need a corner who's not going to do that in those moments ultimately i think if he doesn't make contact with either receiver i don't think they catch the ball yeah which like that sort of plays into both sides of the argument if you if you want to see it as uncatchable You'll say, well, that was uncatchable. Illegal contact. The one thing about illegal contact is that doesn't matter. That's not what illegal contact is. Illegal contact. Like it. 
illegal contact is contact beyond five yards. That's it. There's whether it's catchable or not doesn't matter. But I, I don't having watched that play, PJ Walker wasn't getting the ball to Amari Cooper on that play. It just no, wasn't going to happen, no touched chance. or not. Um, and then I, I don't think I. It's harder to tell on the pass interference, but I don't think that was going to get caught either. Um, so he didn't have to. It's hard to know that, but he just didn't have to. Yeah, yeah, he didn't. He didn't have to do it. And I, that's why I said like he's he's a guy who's doing too much because of the trajectory he's taken to get here, where they've already given up on him. At one point this season, he's back. He has a chance to earn something, but it's a huge, crucial moment. It's so much pressure on him. The, the Browns finally kind of realized late in this game what the Texans decided to do, which was just go after uh, that spot because like, it was you go after the guy who got subbed into the game, you know, in a spot that's tough like that. And it just the moment was a little big for him, unfortunately. And you know, it's it's I, it's totally frustrating for fans to watch. I understand why. I'm sure you guys were ready to throw your TV out the window seeing back-to-back penalties in that spot. But I just think the Yanks should be more to the situation, you know, the the player, the spot he's in. And really, frankly, it goes back to stuff we've said forever, which is the Colts put themselves in this spot where they've got a second-year undrafted player that they want to be an active now playing a huge role at a premium spot because they chose to build their depth that way. And so this is kind of, unfortunately, uh, this is where it kind of bit them. Here of the game, here of the game for me, um, I have a couple options I want to go with here. And I can't decide which one I'm going to take. So well, Maybe I'll take the other. I'm just going to go with Jonathan Taylor. I, I think Jonathan Taylor looked like Jonathan Taylor today. He looked the way he's supposed to look. Um, the numbers, 18 carries, 75 yards, three catches for 45 yards. Not necessarily like eye-popping, the way you sort of think of his numbers having been eye-popping in 21. But the eye test... Like, there were a lot of of gains of plays that I thought was like a, a zero or one yard gain that he got two or three on, um, and and I really I'm really interested in what they're doing with him in the passing game. Some of the stuff they're doing, splitting him out. He caught a slant today. Uh, I like the wheel route of the backfield that that he made it. He made that was a receiver catch. He had to catch it and then took take a blow and he did it. And he did have a drop. He, he took off too early. But like, if you go back to who he was before about midpoint of the 2021 season when they just went really heavy run. He was actually a big play weapon in the passing game for them. He was averaging 12 yards per catch at one point that season. And his first year, I don't have that off the top of my head, but he was he was high for a running back. You, His speed and explosiveness makes plays in the passing game. And I think Shane Steichen knows that. We've seen it a couple of weeks in a row. We had the 40-yard play last week. I'm interested to see where that goes. I I think it's time to stop. It was 18 carries for both running backs. Um, I, I thought in the fourth quarter they got backed up again. They didn't uh, throw out of it this time. They tried to run out of it. Zach Moss got all three carries. I thought that was a mistake. I thought 28 should have been on the field at least once. Yeah, I totally agree Preferably with that. at least tw- Preferably three times for me. Definitely twice. At the very minimum, at least once. Yeah, he, we'll, by that point in the game, Moss wasn't getting anything anymore. Taylor was. We'll get into some of the the specifics of the situation, but that was you know that was Shane reacting to what happened earlier in the game, where he was not going to drop back into the end zone. I thought that was smart, but you've got to have Jonathan Taylor out there to me if that's going to be, uh, you know, what your plan is because what Taylor has the ability to do is, if he makes a guy miss, he could cut it and turn it into a first down. Zach Moss, he can 
sometimes big guy miss. Maybe he has good vision, but he doesn't have that same burst and speed to turn that play into a first down. A first down that spot gets them right back into being able to run the full offense they want to run, where they're not so backed up and terrified of everything. I just, I, it almost felt like to, to play Moss in that 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 moment, an obvious run. I just don't know how that was. You know, that wasn't the best. Uh, the best odds to go get a first down. We're, so, we're stepping on Unsung Villain probably, but uh, we are a little bit. We're, um, we're previewing it. We're foreshadowing it. Let's do that. We're foreshadowing Unsung Villain. So yes. Who's your hero um, of the game? My hero of the game. I'm going to go with Josh Downs. Five catches for 125 yards and a touchdown. That's just a remarkable stat line for a rookie, but especially in a game where the Colts only attempted 23 passes. In a game where they were going up against a Browns defense that had basically allowed nothing. Um, I think it was mostly Martin Emerson in the slot that Josh Downs was going up against. You had some of these numbers, but he was allowing, what, less than 50%? According to, according to Sports Info Solutions, he had given up uh, three catches in 19 attempts this year. One, yeah. of them, one of them was a very long one because he'd given up 95 yards. But, like, three and 19. So he's given up 95 yards in one game. There's a lot of Browns defensive numbers that, like, just didn't matter today. Yeah. And Downs, I thought, like, what a – just quite a stat line for a game where really nothing – not a lot else worked in the passing game. I mean, he had six targets, caught five for 125 yards and a touchdown. So his average per catch was 25. And it was, the 59-yard was not the only big play he had. He just has really – really come on strong he's on i look today he's on pace now if he were to play all 17 games at the rate he's at he's falling just below a thousand yards and, and for a rookie slot receiver um that's pretty remarkable especially the fact that again it, i think the most impressive thing to me about downs has been how well he's played with two different quarterbacks he has not been affected by that change and they've been interchange like they're going in and out and that's everything else we've seen over the last year and a half of this here in India is that's affected all these young receivers. It isn't affecting him. He's just sort of a guy that is doing what, what Chris Powell kind of promised to us, which is a guy who just naturally is going to get open. It doesn't really matter the scheme he's against, the opponent he's against, as much as the fact that he's just really smooth settling into zones. He can make guys, you know, he can he can break open against man. And we're seeing it's more than just, you know, these short little um little design run design passes i mean averaging 25 yards a catch i thought was uh pretty remarkable unsung villain of the game i will let you go first with this one i think i went first last time if i didn't that's the first impressions podcast i don't remember i think i went first because i went with gardner no i mean with hero oh yeah that's true um i'm gonna go with unsung villain to me is shane steichen uh look i i i'm fine with this it leaves open mind yeah I don't think I've used Shane for any villains this year. Maybe I have, but I, I feel like he's mostly been really impressive as a play designer, as a game manager. There's been very little just in-game coaching that I've found need to take an issue with, but I have to this week in the sense that, like, I thought he came out with a very nice game script. They, they reversed the fact, you know, what they did last week. They, had, they tried to address the 55 attempts last week. They did that. They ran the ball a lot. They... Uh, you know they found ways to get the ball to Josh Downs. They they did things. You know, getting Gardner as a runner that we didn't see coming. But the sequence at the end of the first half, which is traditionally when the game script runs out and you start doing some different stuff, that it was just kind of hard to fathom. What I was just surprised that he handled that the way he did. So what I'm referring to is they have a third and thirteen at the Browns 
I want to say 35 yard line. So this is already after the fumble we've already discussed, the Miles Garrett one. This is they get the ball back, and then I think this was right before that. No, no, I, I, this is I wrote on this, so I I, I looked no. at it. They they got the ball back with 154. They called two plays in a row aggressively. Minshew got sacked on the first one and then got sacked by Garrett for the touchdown. They got the ball back. They ran it twice. And then on third and 13, yes. this is what you're talking about. Okay. On third and 13, he's clearly playing for the field goal because we'll see it on the next decision. He calls a screen to Mo Cox that loses six yards. And my thing is if – and then they go and they line up for a 60-yard field goal. So clearly, oh, 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 I had the wrong I had the wrong series. This is way earlier in the second right. quarter. This is actually like 10 minutes. There's 10 minutes left in the second yeah. quarter. My apologies to the listeners. I, I was confused. It's okay. And now I've confused – I didn't lay it out. Now I've confused well the listeners, so I apologize. So basically what guys. I'm getting at, the final 10 minutes of the second quarter, I kind of had an issue with a few things. We'll start with this this sequence. So they're third and 13. They run a screen to Mo Cox, loses six yards. They try a 60-yard field goal. So the ball's going to have a low trajectory. But all, not only that, but the, the Browns trot out Miles Garrett and Denzel Ward, who are super human athletes. And we see it on that play where Miles skips over the line and blocks the field goal. Skips skips is, a, is an interesting verb choice there. It's probably skips in relative to <laughs> his, his activities in the world. Like for any of us, it would like pull every muscle in your body. Launched enormous body over <laughs> other humans to block field goal, and they went with skips. Well, the amazing thing to be is how graceful it was because he like lands and then immediately is able to fully launch yeah, his yeah. whole bite. So it was like the kick didn't even have a chance. And then the ball bounces and it goes to Denzel Ward. This is how they designed this. And he runs it back. And luckily, Drew Ogletree caught him to keep from a touchdown. But it, it led to three points. My thing with the whole with the whole sequence is clearly the plan was always to have Mackey kick because a six-yard loss didn't throw them out of that. If that was the case, they should have run on third and 13. They weren't going to get the first down. On a Moel, I I mean, I just don't think the odds of them getting first down were very high. The odds of a loss against this kind of defense are higher. And then just the idea that once that happened, to kick the 60-yard field goal rather than punt and pin the Browns back deep where they've got P.J. Walker in a passing game that at that point was self-destructing. They were giving the ball away. They weren't doing any – I think at that point they may have had like five yards passing. Uh, like I, I just don't understand why they, they pretty much – gave a huge momentum shift to the Browns in that moment. And then, um, you know, and then the other big part of this, the second core of that issue with was the, the strip sack by Miles Garrett, where again, they asked Gardner Minshew to drop back in an obvious pass, you know, in a passing situation in the end zone. Three weeks after he stepped out of the back of the end zone. Yeah. And again, Miles Garrett is having to go through Blake Freeland and Drew Ogletree, not a matchup you should ask those guys to do. If he's lined up there, you shouldn't be having Gardner Minshew drop back when he's rough under pressure, and it led to a touchdown. So just, just really a strange sequence. Another one that people didn't like was on the on the ensuing drive. This is the one I was talking about next, and Steichen didn't really address this, but um, but mainly because we didn't, we sort of like the question that was asked to him about his decision making was sort of a general question, and so he zeroed in on the decisions he, he zeroed in on. The next series. He they ran it twice and then tried a screen on third down, and mm. Minshew dirted it, and it ended up stopping the clock, which led to another field goal for Dustin Hopkins. Um, I, my issue on that play is I thought Minshew should have tried to get the ball to Taylor. I thought he panicked a little bit. Mm-hmm. There was nobody by Taylor, like he Minshew. The pocket was collapsing on Minshew, but like there, there was nobody by Taylor when he dirted it. 
I thought they should have tried to complete it anyway. Yep. Uh, but people didn't like that for obvious reasons because it stopped the clock. It gave the Brown, it got, it gave the Browns a little extra time. They ended up getting a field goal out of it. Every in a one point game, every point matters. So that's another part of that this sequence with Steichen that you know you can definitely second guess. Yeah, and the point I want to make here because I've gotten some pushback when I have mentioned this on on Twitter, so or X, so the podcast X Twitter po- X Twitter. The podcast, what's great, is it actually provides nuance and context, which doesn't exist on X and Twitter. Here's my thing with Shane. is I, I, What I started this out with, I think he's one of the best play callers in the world. I think he's handled most game situations excellently. He's a big reason why they have three wins this year. They need him in this spot, in this point in time, to be an A-plus game manager and play caller because of what they're dealing with with Garner Minshew, quarterback, Anthony Richardson's not coming back, just some of the other deficiencies on the roster that we keep bringing up. Like, he's he's the guy who's giving them that edge, and they've won games because of that edge. Today, you know, just the margin for error isn't the same, and that, you know, that's a 13-point swing we laid out between those three different sequences of the, the strip sack, the blocked field goal that set up a, a field goal, and the dirting the ball, or the, the screen pass that set up a field goal. That's a 13-point swing in a one-point game, like it really comes back to matter, and so I thought the that Zach was a Moss decision too later on in the fourth quarter. Yep, uh, unsung hero for me. I'm glad you took Stecken because I really wanted to get to this. Taven Bryan was allowed to play nose tackle. It just no, don't do started that. Started at nose tackle. Started, and what happened immediately? The Browns ripped off a 69-yard run. For a touchdown, uh, like it's not that simple. It's not just Taven Bryan, but I, I, I think I've said this before in the podcast. I tend to watch the line through my binoculars. Taven Bryan, this is this isn't new information. This is not something that people don't know. He's number one. He's undersized. Uh, he's a three. He's a three technique tackle. He's a penetrator. Which that in theory that doesn't matter as much in this defense because it's a penetrating defense. But like they double team tackles. The problem is they don't have to double team Taven Bryan, uh, mm-hmm. and and I I don't know I it's the first impressions podcast so this is my first impression and I I didn't keep track of it in the second half because so much else was going on I I felt that the the Browns made a decision early in the game that when Taven Bryan was in the game they were going straight at him and up the middle and mm-hmm. I felt like later in the game when Eric Johnson was in there that they were running wide a little bit more because they actually respected Johnson more as a run defender. I, I don't know if that's true. I don't have any. This is just a, a something that popped into my head. I and I was and you 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 can back me up on this because I was very zeroed in on this early in the oh, game. Oh yeah. Well, I definitely think you're right on the the Brian part of that because on Cream Hunt's touchdown, first half touchdown, the the, the Wildcat, they went he went right at where Taven Brian was lined up. So they were in goal line. So Brian's out there, but you understand why he's out there because. You know they bring in a lot of defensive linemen. Yeah, they, Johnson on the goal line. Johnson and Brian are both on the on yeah. the field. But you saw the Browns; they had kind of been getting cute. They couldn't get any. You know they weren't. They were running at Buckner. One of those plays. They yes. went out early. Earlier in that sequence, they lined up where, uh, as you were looking at the front, Buckner and Johnson were to one side of the center, and the other side was Taven Bryan and Tyquan Lewis. And Cream Hunt decided to run it to force Buckner. Like that was his choice. Very, like, what are you doing? Well, that's the thing. Is that it's almost like the play designer is like, okay, we have to simplify this even more. So they went to Wildcat, <laughs> and they said, run straight. <laughs> and that's what he did, and he got in the end zone. And the reason I think you're absolutely right about this is 
where did Taven Bryan play last year? Cleveland. Yes, and he started just about every game for them. They know what he is, and this isn't a this isn't a trash the guy. It's just skill set wise, he's not a nose tackle. Like that, he's just not. And he was never supposed to be. Even when he was a first round prospect coming out of Flor- out of uh, Florida and went to the to the Jaguars, like he was considered your kind of penetrating pass rushing defensive, you know, three technique type of player. I think he, he played three technique for the Browns last year and struggled against the run in that role. To to start him at nose was just a an interesting decision. Johnson Johnson, I don't think is he's not Grover, but I I did think that I mean the first like one of the first plays he was in he made a tackle that was his only tackle of the game, but he he's the backup nose tackle, mm-hmm. and I I think that this is something that has come up with this defensive staff. It came up with Brandon Faison last year. They have a tendency to err on the side of the veteran in situations where either from a talent perspective or from a uh like in this this case this is a like positional perspective mm-hmm. they should they should go with the younger guy um do, do you know this isn't my number of the day but it's a good number do you, do you know what stats Taven Bryan put up today I didn't see him make a tackle there weren't there weren't any stats there's none I, I'm looking at the defensive stats right now there's there's no Taven Bryan on it um, well, it tells you something because they were running at him. So, and he wasn't uh, getting double teamed. Eric Johnson only ended up with the one tackle, but but I, I don't know. If this is the first impressions pod. I felt like it was a pretty big difference between them, and it's one that most of us could have seen coming. Yeah, and just to to, to put a bow on it again, our our MCU villain definition of it is he's obviously trying his best. They all are putting a guy who struggles to defend the run at three technique to be your nose tackle replacement for Grover Stewart against the team that knows he's not that very questionable decision to me. So the, the position they put him in uh, kind of like with Daryl Baker, I thought was, was not great. Unsung hero, uh, unsung hero of the day. I want to go somewhere else. And if you don't pick up, I'm going to, we're going to throw him in as an add on later, but uh, I want to get Kenny Moore today. Like listen to this stat line from Kenny Moore, 10 tackles, a sack and a half, three tackles for loss, two quarterback hits. I mean, it's the, sort of the blitzing, uh, perimeter-defending version of Kenny Moore today, more than the coverage version. I think in part, large part because the Browns aren't, like with P.J. Walker, they're not exactly testing people in the passing game. Mm-hmm. Uh, dang, Kenny. Oh, yeah. Like, that would be a great stat line for a defensive end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a heck of a game by Kenny Moore. I don't, I don't have much more to say on that, just... My goodness. Also, uh, just just I want to bring this up as a I have been saying for years, stop running <laughs> stretch plays or bubble screens to Kenny Moore's side. And no one is listening to me. And they did it again today. And I don't know what the loss was, but it was a it was it was bad. He destroyed it. It was like five yards. Stop it. And I, I think Jerome Ford got injured on that play. I know he looks small. The tape tells you he plays like he's two hundred and thirty pounds. Stop it. And also because he's small, he gets around the blockers and just runs full force. So, I, you know, I think today was what I've been waiting for them to do since, you know, since this new defensive staff got here, which is blitz Kenny Moore more often. Now, Second I under- half. I understand why they don't a lot of times because their issues at outside corner, I mean, we've brought this up. The more you blitz, that doesn't exactly solve your coverage. But the thing with Kenny Moore is he's a player that he's kind of like a – 
you know, momentous player, I guess you'd say. Like he, he, he can have good and not so good stretches. And the one two years ago when he was at his peak was when they were involving him more. Matt Eberflus built a defense around him where he would, you know, he would blitz him, he would get him around the ball. This defense has had a harder time with that, but I thought one way to generate it is blitzing him because he's very, very good at it. And you can also, you know, you can disguise it that way. And so today was, I, I thought, a good good adjustment by the coaching staff to bring that. You're right, it probably is says more about that they weren't as scared about the passing game they were facing. Um, either way, I, I think we should see it more than we do. And he also almost almost had an interception. Uh, that's one play that I know people are probably baking into the officiating conversation. I, I don't know what that catches. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's 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 a good take. That's a good way to I, I don't know to throw it out there. I, I want to be able to analyze it, but I don't. I don't like. I don't even know what parameters. Yeah, I'll just say that I feel like I feel like I feel like in New York they're just like they're like they're like the ball move this time. Okay, well that's incomplete. And then the next time the ball moves, they're like, oh, it's complete. It's fine. He had control. I, I got yeah. nothing. Like I'm, I'm I've stopped trying <laughs> when they do the replays. Like. The replay was going on. They're all playing on the TVs above it, and the rest of the Indy Star crew is talking about whether or not to catch. I didn't even think about it. I was just like, eh. They're going to make a decision, and I, I don't have any framework to tell you whether or not it was the right decision because I just feel like they're out there just like going. They're just they're just like – I feel like the way it's officiated is they just sort of decide, like, I think that's a catch or not. I don't feel like there's yep. any, like, framework to decide. They look, they, their, their standard is I know it when I see it. And yeah. uh, the it's a weird obviously it's a weird convoluted rule. He's going to the ground. He's got control of the ball and he has a knee down. But the rule, the way it's written, is that you must control it to the ground and the ball does graze the turf, and that's why. All of those things you just said sound like framework. They don't have one. I don't believe they have one. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. <laughs> Nate's unsung hero of the game. Uh, my unsung hero of the game, I'm going to go with Michael Pittman Jr. for the 75-yard touchdown. He rips off. It was a off pretty legit touchdown. At the end, that's incredible. It's the longest pass, longest reception of his career. Uh, he basically ran a quick slant, caught the ball at about 11, 12 yards maybe, and broke through the tackle by Greg Newsom. And then Martin Emerson tried to go high. Bad decision. And he just kind of ran through him and then ran – the final there's nobody else. Yeah, after that, there's length, else. you know, sixty more yards for a touchdown, and then you know he threw it the peace sign as he's walking in the end zone and got flagged for it, and we'll see if he gets fined for it. But I'm putting him out there because that's only his. It was only his second catch of the game. It was it, the biggest play of the game. I think it should have been if the if, if the Colts were able to hold on, that would have ended up being, I think, the biggest story was or, or the the play that everyone remembers more than than obviously the ones they're frustrated by. But I also talked to Michael Pittman after the game, and I won't spoil the whole story. You can see it at anystar.com. But um, he certainly thought he could have done more for this offense in this game. So he's a hero in part because, you know, he had the biggest play. And really, if you if you look at the, the kind of the situation he was up against and, and some of what – certainly what he believes he could have done, um, he's unsung hero, but he could have been potentially the hero if, if he was a little bit more involved. My bonus unsung hero is Alec Pierce. It's a good one. He's been pretty good the last two weeks. He had a he had a ridiculous catch today on the free play, but he's been pretty good the last two weeks. And people are very angry at him, but he's he's been pretty good the last two weeks. Uh, so that, that's just a quick one. Bonus unsung here of the day. Number number of the day. 
I I have one. I'm going to see if you know what it refers to without looking at the stats. Mine is minus six. What do you think that refers to? The the amount of yards Mo Ali Cox lost on that screen. Which is also the number of yards Colts tight ends had in this game. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that. Yes. So they Yikes. only had two targets, one to Mo Ali Cox, one to Will Mallory. They completed the screen for minus six. The I, Mallory one was a classic, both bad throw and bad catch. Yes. I haven't looked into this. Maybe this is a research project for our editor, Nat Newell, who likes research projects. I have to imagine that that has a chance to be the lowest total for position group in the history of the NFL. Because there's got to be a lot of zeros out there, but a n- minus number, a minus six for the position, um, that's just kind of shocking. And you can understand why it was a lower volume day. Obviously, they only threw 23 passes. I think when they used Mo Alley Cox and Drew Ogletree, they were basically extra linemen because that's what you do against Miles Garrett, especially when they have Zadarius Smith on the other side. But that's just – as we get to, like, why – this whole offense felt very boomer bust. Uh, you know, a lot of negative plays, some big ones, 75-yard catch for Pittman and 59 yards for Downs. And, you know, Jonathan Taylor had some great runs. But it's like that's kind of why it was boomer bust. There was nothing, nothing in the sort of short-range game, which is really how Gardner Minshew is supposed to thrive. So, uh, And then the tight ends just in general, uh, obviously, were not – even though they were staying in as extra blockers, they did not, uh, you know, get that all done either. So – just kind of a kind of a rough game for that position. Four point four is my number of the day. That is the average number of yards the Cleveland Browns gained per play in a game that they scored thirty nine points. This is the second week this has happened, where the defense's numbers three hundred sixteen total yards, four point four yards per play. Uh, yards per dropback was four point three. And they gave up 39 points. Now, they scored on a defensive touchdown. That's fair. Dustin Hopkins tried really hard to copy Matt Gay. He had three 50-plus yard field goals. Uh, This is a bad trend. Uh, A lot of it can be ascribed to the turnovers they're committing on. Their quarterback is committing on offense. But, my goodness. What is going on here? This is two games in a row where the yards and the efficiency of the yards does not match the points. No, and they had 69 yards on one run and still 4.4 mm-hmm. 4 for the game. And that's where the penalties really stung because that was the penalty yardage was sort of the you know the flip of that. So, uh yeah, that's you want to be able to win games at home when when you play defense like that, but uh you know, weird game and that's where turnovers again, a lot of games come down is explosive plays and turnovers. The Colts had explosive plays. But they, they, you turn over four times, you're going to lose. Game day games. observation. We are in the interlude part, the fun part of the, the podcast. Uh, game day observation. I'm going to let you go first. I have a lot that I'm going to run through really fast. Okay. I don't have nearly as many. I wasn't around watching the pregame the way you were, so I'm excited to hear some of these. I'll just go with the uh, the saxophonist who did the uh, the national anthem. That was brilliant. That was a show that was very confident he had a note there at the uh the home note of the final line that was was that like a minute long that he held that it was forever that was that was incredible 
You could convince me that he held it halfway into the first quarter. So as a former saxophonist myself, I was very impressed. Ah, I was also an alto sax. All right. There we are. Um, not for very long, though. I gave, I kind of, I kind of gave up and came, like, I, I, <laughs> in high school, I did band only if it matched, only if I had, like, an empty spot on the schedule. So, like, I didn't do it my first two years, came back as a junior and was just like, eh, I don't have an open spot on the schedule, I'll do it. And I didn't do any of the marching or anything because I was playing football. So, like, I didn't do any of the stuff that, like, I didn't do any of the marching for, uh, like, parades or anything either because I was playing baseball. So, like, it was just, I was just there to annoy the band teacher. (laughs) See, this is where I feel like I was the Matt Gay of saxophonists because I played it for, like, four years heading into high school, but I wanted to play football, and they said, no, you cannot be in the jazz band and play football. You must be in jazz band and marching band. And so oh, I had to choose was no distinction like that. No, I there had was to no choose football or marching band, and I was going to choose football. So I gave up the saxophone, and it got packed in a case and stuck in the basement. I haven't seen it since, unfortunately. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where the one that I used either was. And I, and I referenced Matt Gay because we're as Joel wrote in a story and, and laid out here. He was not allowed to uh, kick for his high school team <laughs> because they wanted him to be at practices and not be a soccer player. They wouldn't let him do both, so therefore he did not kick for his team, and they didn't have Matt Gay. Nate is lying a little bit about his game day observation. He's avoiding one. He's trying really hard not to talk about it. Am I? Yes. There, oh. were, there were alternate jerseys today. I don't have an observation of the jerseys. Are they uh, There were different jerseys on, though. I can I can confirm that. I had to check the teams that were playing because I was pretty sure I watched Duke play last <laughs> night against Florida State, and then I see them out there today. And I think the player who had to be most confused was Deion Jackson, who is on the Browns now, and so he thought he was playing his former NFL team in the Colts. He was actually playing his former college team in Duke. So uh, that was interesting. And it was just a weird jersey game, I will say that, because you had the Browns went with a much more classic look. Granted, it's one they didn't use for many years, but they're, they're clean white uniforms uh were nice um and yeah the colts had a different uniform but they'll be back to the original i assume next week send all uniform any any all uniform thoughts today that guys okay game day observations. i, I I'm will just try say to go i these. love classic uniforms so i will always side that way the colts have great uniform normal do. uniforms they I don't need an alternate i absolutely uh, that's my take uh the game day observations for me i'm gonna try to run through these quick number one before the game they did a uh toddler race number one they made these toddlers run 40 yards that's a long way yeah that'd be a long way for my seven-year-old it's a 40-yard dash at, at the end of it uh, if if somebody knows better what they got for their i, I we can't hear what they're announcing out there because of the press box uh i think they just handed them a very tiny football in future it needs to be like a, a blue stuffy at the very minute this is a minimum if they're going to run that far you have to give these kids a blue stuffy that is big enough to sleep on this is my rule. That seems very fair. Uh, I thought they could have set something up where they have like a birthday party with their favorite player. That's see, that's that I mean that's 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 you're going above and beyond. I, like I'm just talking about the bare minimum because they they didn't like there needs to be something at the end there. Okay. Uh, number two, the next thing they did was this thing where they had people blindfolded and they were trying to get them to a spot. Right? <laughs> they only had to go ten yards. Let the toddlers go 10 yards. Make the person who can't see go 40 yards. That would be entertaining. <laughs> Could you imagine if they did a blindfold 40-yard dash? You'd have to sign some liability waivers, but hey, P- 
people would be people are entertained by nonsense. There, there was a proposal at the end of it. Proposals are very sweet. Uh, mm-hmm. My personal belief is that if you're going to do a proposal at a football game, your first date either has to be at the football game, or your the person you're proposing to has to really love the team. Otherwise, yeah. you're 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 treading dangerously into making the proposal about you. You also be, and if you're asking the question, you shouldn't do that. And you also should be pretty sure they're going to say yes. I I am a big believer in that because I have seen a couple of those go wrong. Yes, Ooh, not in person. Not I've, great. There's a you can look it up. There's some viral moments of that. Not great. So, uh, saxophone, unbelievable. We've had good national anthems this year. Really good national anthems. Yep. Um, and then, uh, uh, uh. This is from somebody on X Twitter uh, that I, I missed it, but apparently there were like eight people who at least he said at minimum eight people went down in the unfurling slash refurling of the flag, which is anytime someone is unfurl like it's the same thing when you have a tarp in baseball. Anytime somebody is doing something with the flag and it goes awry, it's just it's entertaining. I'm sorry, it's great. I know it's bad because you're entertained by someone falling, but it, it's funny. There's one time a starting NFL quarterback got stuck under that flag. Oh, also, also, this is a real quick observation. We, we've already done the lookalikes before. I don't, I don't want to do this over and over and over again. Really, really bad work with the Yellowstone yeah. one. It wasn't, wasn't their best day. No, number one, if you're going to do Cole Hauser, like the person has to be like super big. And because we're on that topic, Joel has a Yellowstone take. Yeah, overwritten. <laughs> Over, I was very excited for that series because I, I really like Kevin Costner. I really like Taylor Sheridan. At series length, there's too much going on. I've yet to check it out. It always comes on after Bar Rescue ends, and then I go to bed. They, they, they could, they could make it. They could strip it down and take some of the storylines out, and I think it'd be a better, a better and more Western tale. That's gonna be my take. Joel shared this take and was not greeted with enthusiasm. Another, in the another, box. another person in the press box is a big fan of Yellowstone and was like, "Did you say it's overrated or overwritten?" And I said both. And you would have thought, like, Joel was talking about that person's family or something very cruel. Um, anyway, uh, three football things that gave us joy. Um, number one for me, wheel routes. Oh, yeah. Love wheel routes. Uh, in college, when we did flag football, we had a very, very fast guy. And our first play of every game was we would run a slant with our big, tall, six foot four guy, and we would run the really, really fast guy from the slot on a wheel route for the to the end zone. And I think that was like a fifty percent hit rate to open the game with a touchdown. They did it with Jonathan Taylor today. It was great. I love wheel routes. I love wheel routes too. The idea that like a linebacker has to move laterally into space, then flip and chase that guy, and then turn around and find the ball. It's like all the stuff that they're not asked to do very often. It's like asking a lineman to fall on a loose ball. It's just very awkward movement. So I like that wheel route. Uh, mine's very minute, but I liked there's a moment when uh, the Colts converted a third down kind of by the nose of the football, and Shane Steichen was yelling at the chain crew to move, like, move it, move it. Like, I'm already on to the next play. Like, this yeah, is he's, he's not in charge of the chains. So he, <laughs> he, he was, like, right walking by me. He was just like, come on. Like, I know what we got here. So that was that was fun. Uh, number two football thing that gave me joy. These are always very, like, small kind of one-off type things. Uh, Rigoberto Sanchez punt to like the two yard line caught by Tony Brown. Love those. Oh yeah. I like I like both iterations of it. I like when the ball hits and stops. I think that's my favorite. But I also like it when the gunner wins so well that he could just catch it. That's fun. 
Yep. Um, play along that line, even though it's not going to be a play that Colts fans like, understandably, but sometimes I like to give credit to the other team. It was Miles Garrett's skip I'm sticking with. Skip <laughs> over the line. And I say skip because, like, for any of us, it would take our full, like, we'd have to train for, like, a year to do it. And then for Miles Garrett, it's like it's like he was stepping over a Lego um, that's how difficult. I, I thought it looked. It I thought it looked more explosive than this. I really, I really thought that he looked like he really put all effort into it. I thought. It okay, looked, maybe he did, but it I was thought like, it looked like. I thought it looked like a really hard box jump. He just landed so gracefully that he was able to the, fully extend the jump back in the the land and jump again was really. Good. And if you look at some, there's some videos on the internet of him. He's trying to set the world record for box jumps. Um, he probably shouldn't because it looks very dangerous when he's trying to do some of those. So. He does these all the time, so he was just sort of prepping for that. Um, and just in general, that I mean, I know it doesn't take a rocket science, I guess, to to, to say you should use Miles Garrett on these. But the combination of him and Denzel Ward doing that over the line and doing this tag team, one blocks, one tries to scoop, uh, just just cool thing for uh, former Colts special teams coordinator Bubba Ventrone. Uh Number three, they threw it deep when. The Browns are offsides. Mm. I, the, the opposite of football things that game that give me joy is when a player jumps offsides, the quarterback sees it, and he throws a short pass. It, I'm furious. I'm furious. There's just no point to that. <laughs> There's absolutely no point to that. <laughs> if you have a free play, whatever the long, whatever the longest route in your project in your uh, progression is, you just throw it there. Yeah, that's, that's the point of a free play. So long as you see them throw the flag. Yeah, 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 once yeah, yeah, in a while yeah, you'll yeah. get someone who was like, "Oh, I knew he was offsides." It's like, but if they didn't throw the flag, right, right, right. if you see the flag, like they actually did it last week. There was a play where they were offsides, and he threw it short, and it got intercepted, and I was so upset. If they throw it long and it gets intercepted on a free play, I don't care. Yeah, Th- that's the point. It's a free play. Just chuck the thing. Yes. So, I loved it today. Both both plays where they jumped offsides, Gardner Minshew chucked it down the field. Uh, one of them resulted in a great catch. But, yes, I was very happy that I didn't have to be furious. It drives me nuts. <laughs> and that's where I will give credit to... You guys, just just for people who are not in the press box with me, there are so many tiny football things that, like, give me, like, 30 seconds of just blind rage. And Nate, say, has to, Nate has to hear all of them. It's a good thing we... Don't. This category is football things that give me joy. <laughs> Instead and of not, football things that give me rage. Yeah, they give me pain. <laughs> like, we could have a very angry podcast. Calling, we calling uh, opposing coordinators calling... Stretch plays to Kenny Moore's side. That's that's one that I'm like beside myself on for a while. I have at least two more, so we'll see how many more do you have. I've done my three. It's oh, always three. Okay, Football things. I have a I have a bonus because but it's a bonus because it's not from a Colts game. I think I only did one. I don't know. Maybe I'm off. Anyway, I'll go with two quick ones. One is a uh, actually I did two already. Uh, okay, I'll pick just one to keep it even. Uh, Michael Pittman Jr. and Josh Downs were arguing after the game about who was faster. On their touchdowns, uh, both scored from you know 59 and 75 yards. Josh Downs says there is evidence of his because they put it on the video board that he was at 20 miles an hour. And Michael Pittman said, well, I haven't seen my evidence, but I know it was at least 25 miles an hour. <laughs> and I said, that. and I told him, you know, Tyreek Hill doesn't even hit 25. And he said, because he's not me. <laughs> so, <laughs> which is just classic. This is a wonderful uh, interaction. Classic Pittman confidence. And look, he wasn't. He wasn't all yeah, yeah. jokey. He's, yeah, he's tongue in cheek. This was tongue in cheek, and he wasn't. He was upset with with losing the game. So this was this happens though sometimes. Is these these guys are humans, and they have they can have jokey moments and also 
you know, later we ask some stuff and they get a little upset, which if you want to read my story, you'll see Pittman, you'll see that full range because he, he got upset with some stuff. Foreshadowing. I always, I always enjoy that. In the middle of the interview, though, Josh Downs is talking about how um, Michael Pittman's rivalry with him inspired his top ball carrier speed on that touchdown. Uh, the bonus for me is Wisconsin took a go-ahead touchdown on a throw to an offensive tackle. Mm. You had to be in heaven. I was not watching it live, uh, but uh, a friend of the podcast sent it to me, made sure I because they said that it hits like three things on the Joel Bingo card. It absolutely did. Uh, they lined up in like super heavy personnel. They motioned some of the heavy personnel, and then they they slipped. They, they ran a little bit of leak action with the with the ta- and he and he had to he had to reach for it. It wasn't thrown to his chest. It, have to, I haven't seen this. We have to look it up. But they, I, and they beat Illinois with it. I was going to say it's undefeated. It's, 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 I just, fat man touchdown for the win is amazing. Uh, Uh, I have to match a bonus then. Okay. It's very short. Again, it's from the other team, but the flea flicker screen the Browns ran, I have not seen that in an NFL game. Very interesting. Got David Njoku a a very nice game. So again, not a fun play for Colts fans, but I just, it's an interesting idea because it's like you run a flea flicker in general is not my favorite play. But what it does in theory is it gets guys like once they see him turn the back, turn and flip the ball. They turn and bail. They're like, crap, he's going deep. And it was just you get them all moving deep and then you throw it to a big tight end. It was just kind of cool. Maybe it's something. Maybe Shane can borrow that later in the season when Jelani Woods comes back because I'd love to see him with that kind of space. And that would be fun. I want him to borrow the offensive play from Wisconsin. In Germany. In Germany. (laughs) In Germany. Down by the goal line against the Patriots, leak play to Bernard Ryman. I'm just putting that into the oh. universe. I was going to say that would be great for the locals. I I was a little it's confused at first why you're saying Germany because this is a real way to confuse people trying to learn the in, American game. In, in Germany, Bernard Ryman for the touchdown, putting that out in the universe. That's all I want from this season. We need that, and we need like maybe Marcel Dabo as the gunner. Just some ideas we'll give Shane in the next couple weeks. Yeah, sure he'll I, use. Th- th- just just take Wisconsin's play and and throw it to Bernard. Uh, that brings us back into the serious stuff. Um, too much blame, too little blame. Uh, the game is a loss, so we will start with too much blame. Too much blame for this loss that the Colts took. People are probably are going to love this answer, but I'm going to go with officiating. I think it's... <laughs> So many people are going off on X Twitter about this. Um, I understand. Again, we've gone through the calls. I can understand some of the arguments, <laughs> but to me, I'm laughing because Nate's just like, "Where's the bear? He's asleep. <laughs> what if I poke him with a stick? What if I poke him with my finger in the eye?" <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Um, let me just say that I've covered I've covered three teams, and I've been in moments like this with each of them where. You know, the fan base come, becomes convinced based on the way a game played out that the, the rest are conspiring against them. Look, I don't think if the league was going to conspire to make a team win, it would be Deshaun Watson and the Cleveland Browns. I just don't. But um, I also just I, I just don't think that that, was, that should be the main takeaway here. It's, to me, this game was more about, if we're talking about like why the Colts did not win this game, to me it was about the depth they had at premium positions such as quarterback, right tackle and 
outside corner. I think he just pulled off doing too much blame and too little blame in the same in the same thing. Mm. Maybe too little blame for the front office. Oh, yeah, I guess I did. All right, well, we're being efficient here. Yeah, it's very, very efficient. Uh, too much blame for me, Shane Steichen. Um, so you're going against my unsung villain. Well, I, I just think that I just think that there was there was some thought that like this is people like really lost it uh, right around half, and some of this is informed by Ask Joel, um, but people were like really really lost it. He also built a game plan that got like 450 yards against a defense that was giving up 200. The previous their previous worst was 296 yards. They had more yards by the half than four teams had against the Browns in the entire game. Like. Deserve some credit for that. I, there were oh, some. Yeah. There was some stuff I didn't like. I agreed with all the stuff you said, uh, but like there, there was some good stuff in this game plan too. There's some good creative stuff in the game plan. Uh, I thought from a, a, a play design, play calling, game design thing, pretty good. So that's that's kind of where I'm going with that. And then too little blame. The front office one. I think that one's going to keep coming up for both of us, uh, kind of over and over. Um, offensive line there um browns ended up getting four sacks some of that is miles garrett some of it is not merit miles garrett um a lot of penalties too a lot of penalties yeah that's a good part that, that's a good point a lot of penalties ryan kelly said he felt like they left some stuff out there in the run game so just kind of combining all that together a great, great game for the offense the offensive line is obviously a part of that um but some some big mistakes from them and yeah, we'll just we'll too little blame. We'll go to that. Yeah, because there's another game where I was impressed with Jonathan, really impressed with Jonathan Taylor, and it's just surprised to see he ended up with 4.2 yards of carry. Not that that's really bad, but it's you know last year he was at 4.5 in a year where it felt like they didn't have blocking. So I do think they probably did leave some some stuff out there in the run game. Um, so it was it was a tough task to have. You've got two super young tackles going up against. On every snap, Miles Garrett and Zadarius Smith, and they're moving those guys around, and it was kind of a, it was a, it's a really tough matchup, and it, and it, I think, this offensive line over the last couple weeks has, because they came out of the gates on fire this season, playing way above, obviously way above last year, way above expectation. I think they've leveled off a little bit, which is natural when you lose Braden Smith, and you kind of learn how important he is. So, that's a good one. That leaves us with the last two. Uh, something that we're talking about now that we're not going to be talking about later, that's one to throw away. One to throw away from this game. One one talking point, one thing we are talking about that is going to go away. Um, I'm mostly right back to what we went at with Shane Steichen. I, don't, I think this is going to be mostly an anomaly for Shane, the thing I was talking about with the uh, – the end of the first half, it was really, to me, a bad 10-minute stretch for him. And then he really rebounded much better for the most part in the second half. Like you said, the gameplay was really good coming out, so the start of the game was really good. He just It was a, it was a stretch in there where um, the script ran out against a very talented defense in a, in a very weird game, and he didn't handle it great, but he's a first-year coach. He's gonna He seemed frustrated by some of that after the game. He's going to go review all of that. He's very self-critical. And I think he's going to learn from that, and he's so I don't think we're going to come back to this, you know, in, in future times. I think it's just one. This was one opportunity to kind of nitpick a coach who, or not nitpick, but criticize a coach who otherwise has been excellent this year. And 
I think he'll bounce back from this pretty well. One to throw away for me, uh, it, one way or the other, this weird defensive thing is going to stop. Where, like, the yards and the yards per play and everything like that looks good and the points look bad. Now, I said one way or the other because either they're going to start giving up fewer points with their good numbers because they're not they're turning the ball over less, or the darker version. I'll drop my voice for this. The darker version is that their issues at cornerback end up making the yards per play look worse, and they keep giving up more points. Either way, it's going to go away. Or what could also happen there is the defense just kind of collapses under the way of the offense, which is what happened last year. So last year, if you remember, they were they felt like a top-10 defense for much of the season. Down the stretch of last season, think about – sorry to bring up dark memories, but Cowboys game, Vikings game. Things, dark memories. <laughs> Things fell apart a little bit. You should use that voice when when we name the villain. It's it's <laughs> it, it fits the whole mood. It's hard to get down here. Uh, that leaves us with one to go on. We always end with this one uh, because that's that's the point of it. <laughs> it's one to go on, one to think about, one to chew on. Uh, for me, uh, the, the the offensive story is going to be about uh, finding ways to minimize the. Uh, shortcomings from Gardner Minshew. I don't know if that's always going to be turnovers. I don't know if that's going to be always the pass rush. Like, But th- there are things that keep coming up. They, they have to find ways to minimize it. Today, today he got a lot of help from his receivers. They got like 150 yards from plays the receivers made. Um, I, I just – I don't know I don't know if it's going to be the turnovers the whole time, but this, this offensive season has become about finding ways to be productive despite – the issues of the quarterback. Very fair. Which is unfortunate because that's where they've been for a while. Yep. They're uh, two straight weeks. Teams have found ways to put the game on the quarterback. And that's just mostly what this league is. And so it's kind of summed up where this franchise has been for several years. They're not in a spot where they can just hide uh, a quarterback yet. Not there yet. So it, so Gardner is going to have to play better uh, in order to, to make this work. Uh, my one to go on is... Jonathan Taylor's back. I think he is back to the full, pretty much the full unleashed version, the full explosive version. Uh, to me, I just I think they got to put a little bit more on him. You know, he had the same number of carries as Zach Moss. He brought that up, but we saw uh, we saw that vision. We saw the cutbacks. We saw some explosiveness between the twenty four yard run and um, and the twenty yard reception. He had three catches for forty five. Like we're going to see him. Just, I think, take more. He's been building up each week, and I think this is sort of, I think this will be the end of him being anything less than the lead back. And also, I think we're going to be talking about him as one of the best backs in football again after kind of a weird you know year and a half of injuries and everything else that came with it. Yeah, that's the the story that's posting, depending on, I don't know if this will get up tonight or not. Um, depending on when you're listening to this, the story that goes up on Indie Star for me on Monday morning is it's time to run the offense through Jonathan Taylor again. So, obviously, obviously, I'm in agreement with you. That is it for the First Impressions edition of the Colts Cover 2 podcast. This is uh, a, just a, a tough game for a Colts fan. Uh, played much better offensively than, than you're expecting in a lot of ways. Uh, if you're 4-3, I think you feel a lot different. I would say the flip side of it is you played pretty well against a good defense, which is good going into next week's game. They play the Saints next week. Uh Obviously, some key injuries to to pay attention to. I think the most important one, considering the Saints, uh, 
is Juju Brent. And that, I mean, it, depending on how long that is, it could be it could matter longer than that. But definitely this week because uh, Derek Carr has looked bad, but Chris Olave and Michael Thomas and Rashid Shahid are still good. So um, that's the big one. We're going to be monitoring that. We'll get our first update on it tomorrow uh, or today, depending on when you're listening to this. Uh, but for the Colts Cover 2 podcast, this is the first impressions edition. Colts lose 39 to 38. I'm Joel A. Erickson. This has been Nate Atkins. We will put plenty of stuff up this week at IndyStar.com.